Hey everyone, before we start the episode, I would like to define four terms. PIC is pilot in command or captain. SIC is second in command or co-pilot. Part 91 means an owner account or usually a family account or sometimes it means a corporate account. Part 135 means charter. And then the last thing I want to say is around halfway through the episode, Matt says that flight attendants, the best one, should be unseen. That audio got clipped, but what he, he is saying is unseen. Everyone, enjoy the episode. Hi, everyone. This is Jennifer. Welcome to the Corporate Flight Attendant Podcast. I was a corporate flight attendant for six years, and I tell you the brutal, honest truth of this industry. Before we start today, please remember, if you like this podcast, please give me a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, check out the show notes for my CFA book and strategy session, or to donate if you love me. Today, we have an interview with a highly experienced pilot. Matt Dietz has been flying since 1995 and has spent almost 20 years in corporate aviation. He is a seasoned international corporate captain who has a wealth of global experience, including a past role as a chief pilot for a charter operation. Besides flying, he is the CEO of Mad Dog Global. It's a great name, by the way an aviation consultancy that specializes in international operations, which we're going to hear about later. Additionally, Matt's most important role is devoted husband and father of three. Welcome, Matt. Thank you. Glad to be on. I love all your podcasts. I think it's a good reminder for the pilots in there. Always try to treat our flight attendants with the respect and keep us all included together, but it's always a good reminder to, to hear that side of it. So. Glad to be on. Thank you so much. Yeah, the golden rule. Don't be an a-hole. Like, be nice to everyone. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> Just be nice to everyone. It's not that hard. Yeah. It's hard for some, <laughs> but not for others. It is. So I want to ask you, how did you get started in corporate aviation and why corporate versus commercial? So guys, just in case you don't know, corporate, of course, we know is a private jets and then commercial is flying on your United Delta, all that. Basically, almost all of my flying career was out of the Allentown Airport, where I did my flight training. And uh, while I was doing my flight training, I worked third shift for the airlines, baggage handling, cleaning the aircraft. Then went to line service, where I made connections, fueling at night, and got connected with those doing medical flights. So I ended up riding right seat on turbo props for uh, organ donors and doctor services. And then from there, I went on to being continuing to get build up my ratings in time. I worked for charter sales and dispatch. And then one of the operators hired me as an SIC on the Lear pilot. You have to explain cap- to our listeners what an SIC is. Oh, sure. Sure. Uh, second in command. So I was a co-pilot on the Learjets and transitioned from there to being a captain and then a training captain and then chief pilot. Uh, did that for about 10 years. And then I was given the opportunity to fly a Hawker 4000 with two other very good friends of mine. And so it was a part 91. We flew that together for about seven years until unfortunately it was getting sold. So we had to go different ways. The airlines were picking up and it was a good opportunity to go there. And one of our pilots went there because he really loves the structure of everything's laid out. I do like the corporate side where 
Every day is a little bit different. Some of the decision-making and flexibility is on the crew members. So I, I enjoy that part of it. He goes to cities and you know he's literally there just long enough for crew rest. And they're back on for another several legs the next day. I love being able to get out and sightsee and see different areas and take some of that in. So that's the main reason for me sticking with corporate versus going over to the airlines. I have a friend who was a mentor to me as a flight attendant, and she told me that her first flight ever as a corporate flight attendant was taking an organ to the recipient. And she said she did not know what to do. And it was just her in the back with the organ. So she strapped it in and seat belted it. (laughs) I, I thought that was really funny. I was like, really? That's what you did? And she's like, yeah, I didn't know what to do. And then I sat with the organ and then I like watched the organ. I was like, it was very responsible of you. So I thought that was pretty funny. It's like, oh, that's cool. And that's really cool that you flew on a hawker because a lot of flight attendants don't know what that is because you really don't have flight attendants on a hawker. I have been a flight attendant on a hawker and I loved it. It's a cool plane. I was on the the Hawker 800 and the the 4000, both of them, a lot of fun to fly. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what makes CRM, because we talk about CRM here, crew resource management work well between two pilots and a flight attendant? I'm going to say the biggest thing is from a company standpoint, that there's some pretty solid standard operating procedures so that everyone knows what everyone's supposed to do. But then also being very effective communicating because every trip is different, especially when we're talking about on corporate versus airlines. And so perfect example would be like even on the Hawker 4000 when we didn't have a flight attendant, we had duties laid out on what the PIC did and what the SIC did, or the co-pilot and captain did, even though we were all captain rated we just rotated different flights who was the captain on that trip. And we always knew the co-pilot's duty that day was to get the coffee papers and catering for it. We didn't need to do a whole lot of communicating. We just both showed up at the airplane at the right time, took care of the passengers and the flight, the flight plans were filed. So being able to reduce some of that communicating back and forth and just knowing what the roles are is big. And then having a respect for each other so that you can respect for what they have to do, what you have to do, that you're all working together for the same goal. You don't need to love each other, uh, but you all need to <laughs> work together at, you know, to Amen. be safe out there. Trust and honesty is a big thing. So let's just say it's my job as a co-pilot on this trip to do the walk around the airplane. I started to do it and maybe the line service came out and I got distracted and we get inside and we ask pre-flight done. I need to say, you know what? I did not finish it actually, you know, and not be afraid to it or, or hide it or anything. Just be like, yep, you know what? I got distracted. You know, we started towing the airplane, fueling it or, or whatever, and I didn't finish it. So both being able to trust each other and be honest with each other is a big part of it. And how does that specifically work with a flight attendant? Because in your company, you have three full-time flight attendants now, and I'm sure you're going to have contractors you work with. So in regard to that structure of two pilots and one flight attendant, how do you see CRM working well? The big thing is, so certainly trusting the flight attendant that we have on board, and certainly the three full-timers, we certainly do, that they're going to take care of the passengers. Again, kind of like I just said about fessing up about not doing the walk around. I forgot to order this catering. I didn't do that. And don't try and hide it or do anything. And if we're opening up front with it, we can dress it right away and get it taken care of. Another big part is even in the flight planning and preparation part is, so a lot of the city pairs we do are pretty regular. We kind of know where 
everybody likes to stay or go depending on where it's at and how long it's there. But if something changes and it's a different hotel, different location, I personally, you know, when I'm the captain of the trip, I like to ask both the flight attendant and the other pilot on board, hey, do you have a preference? This is what, you know, office is kicking back or where we could stay. Take everyone's opinion into it. So uh, me and the other pilot could say, hey, we're fine with that. Drip by the airport, we can get there. But if the flight attendant is, hey, you know, I need to be able to get some catering or go get something for the passengers, or I don't feel safe there, then we're all in it together. And I'm going to report back to the office and support their decision on that as well, on why we're not making that selection or, or we need to make another. You hit the nail on the head with safety. Because we, as a lot of us are women, hey, shout out male flight attendants. You know, I love you guys. I say it a lot. And males should be safe too. I'm not just saying that about females, but especially, you know, single females at night when you have to walk back to your hotel room and you're lugging a bag and that's ripe for certain things. So absolutely with the safety. So I appreciate that you brought that up. And also as you said, trust and respect, because I remember I flew this one trip and the pilots, it was a very long trip. Let's say it was 12 hours. And the pilots didn't even think about me for crew rest. And it was overnight. They didn't care. They were looking for a full timer on that account. And I said, after that, no way, I don't want to do it. Because if you don't even think about the flight attendant for something like that. And I'm not, you know, as a flight attendant, you guys, I'm not asking for, I don't need the three hours of rest or whatever that one pilot needs. By the way, we're talking flying with three pilots who are changing. (laughs) Just to to clarify (laughs) that. So that one pilot can rest for three hours, right? Go in the crew rest, take a nap. That's great. All I'm asking was for one hour, just one hour to just close my eyes while the passengers are sleeping and they didn't even allow me that. So I think having that respect is a big deal. And I also talk about, Matt, how you know you have to figure out what's important to you. Is it great crew? Is it a great owner? If you're going to do this account, is it the places you go? And for me, my non-negotiable was a great crew because unfortunately in this industry, I've flown with some people that aren't such great crew. And it makes the experience, especially as you're the lowest on the totem pole, a corporate flight attendant, makes it really hard. It does. Where I got my international experience was on a G4. Owner was based out of Teterboro, but we spent probably 80% of the time in Europe, in the Middle East, on a G4 Part 91 account. And the crew we had in there, we've all become such good friends. We still stay in contact now. And when the management company w- was changing or making changes, and we were, unfortunately, we've all kind of left there since. But giving notice that I was leaving to them was the hardest part. I, I hate to say it, I didn't mind giving it to the company, but it was very sad. We were a very busy account. It would not be uncommon that we were doing 20, 22 days a month, pretty regular and always flying through the night. And so you build that trust and, and you know relationship together. And it, it is, you know, we're all in it together. Even if there is only two pilots, we're not doing the three pilot rotation. We would quite often tell the flight attendant because to some extent for the crew, we have a dispatch company that was helping us prepare flight plans and and overflight permits and all that stuff. You know, we could get to the airplane an hour before, hour and a half before, pre-flight, get it ready and go. The flight attendants quite often, they were at it three or four or more hours before of gathering the catering, getting it there and doing stuff. So we would constantly tell the flight attendant because 
our trips were pretty much always 11 o'clock at night, 1 o'clock in the morning out of New York going over to Europe. So the flight attendant may have been up all day already. And we'd say, listen, when he goes down, rest. Crew can get her own coffee, do something. And when the passenger would ring that he wanted service, we'll respond to it and then get her. More often than not, they did not take us up on it. They stayed up with <laughs> us, but we, we always push for them to try and do it. So You bring up a good point because we've been up running around for the catering. I've heard of instances where someone is a prima donna and they want a different bed. So the flight attendant had to go out and find a different bed in the middle of the night. I've heard of things like that. And I love how you said, fess up if you not even made a mistake, but if just you didn't get something done or something happened, I had an incident where it wasn't my fault. I had clearly written that I needed the catering at 4 a.m. And the catering company thought it was 4 p.m. And so an hour went by and I'm trying to figure out what's going on. I finally kept calling and calling and no one's answering at 4 a.m. And I finally had to get a pilot involved and he helped. So yeah, don't be afraid to fess up. So what do you think makes a great corporate flight attendant? The big thing for me is trust. So some of them will say, oh, we've worked on this model aircraft before. I know it, you know, when they're trying to get the job, then they get an airplane, they really don't yeah. know where anything is or how it works. And it's pretty evident, like, just say it, you know, and we can come help you before or after or do something. 99.9% .9 of the time, all flights go without much uh, activity, which is good. But you really want that trust when shit's hitting the fan and we're busy up front doing stuff. I trust that they're taking care of the passenger on the safety side of it and getting everything ready. And they've checked all these things and prepped the passenger. So yeah. When you're in that emergency situation, it's us in the back. And I had an episode where I talked about, and I don't want to give any spoilers. I'm not going to give any spoilers, but I had broken down an episode of Succession where there was an emergency in the private jet and the way it was handled on TV was pretty accurate. So as a flight attendant, you're going to have to realize that if someone has an emergency in the back and it's a medical emergency, you're going to have to be the one doing the CPR. You're going to have to be the one calling Medair, having them help you because most likely the pilots have to land the plane for an emergency landing. So they can't be back there helping you. So it's good to have that trust among the crew. I agree. There is a, a statistics of if the second pilot needs to leave the cabin to go to the back to help, it adds on five, six, seven minutes on to getting from 40,000 down on the ground somewhere. If there's actually a medical emergency, that six, seven minutes of both crew members being able to talk to ATC, pull up which airport they're going to, get on the approach, get down faster, get through the checklist could be the difference as well. So now we move on to what are the most annoying things CFAs can do? What would make you say to your boss, we cannot hire this contractor again. She has to go. Show up late, unprepared, and scrambling around, catering not ordered, them not respecting the passenger's space back there, reading the room when it's there's a, a meeting or a conversation going on, they're almost unseen. We'll have a, a cup holder in the front with some water in it. I'll drink it and you know be empty. I swear I look back two minutes later, it's full again. And I've never seen anyone come up there and fill it. And I know who that is. Things. I know what flight attendant <laughs> that is because she trained me. Yeah. So I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> She's yeah. amazing. And so and 
that she is. And, and so not all do it. We're all at different personalities and different styles, but they all get the job done the right way. Yeah, or they should. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, they should. I want to go back to one thing you said, because I forgot to say it sure. two questions ago. And this is very important. When a flight attendant walks on, and she has told you in this interview, Oh, I know this aircraft left, right, up and down. This happens all the time, you guys. And then she or he or them walk on the plane. And they don't, you can tell they don't know the aircraft. I'm going to tell everyone right now, there's a saying in the industry, if you've seen one Gulfstream, you've seen one Gulfstream. What does that mean? That means that, okay, you can put on your resume that, yes, I'm very experienced in a G650 or G4, G550. That's fine. But the way I handle it is, yes, I do have that on my resume. But the way I handle it is, I always say, when I'm about to do the trip, I know that G650. I don't know your G650. So I'm going to have to get there early and make sure I look around because you understand that, yeah, if someone just says, oh, I know this, I know this backwards and forwards. And a lot of times the mechanical things are different as well. The technological, the iPads, the screens, the touch things, they're different as well. And how to put the TV on is a big deal. How to, if they use a DVD player, if they use the internet, it's a big deal and you have to know it. And it may not be the same as the last G650 you were on. So absolutely, Matt, thank you for bringing that up. So do you have a funny crew story or story involving a CFA? We were in Salt Lake City. We were there for like three or four days. And one of the days we opted to go do a snowmobile trip out there. And we were, you know, buzzing around and the flight attendant was, we had a guide, and but she was in the, she was in the back and we came across this one spot that was pretty challenging to go up. And we go up and crown the corner and I look back, look back, and she never came up around the corner behind us. I, so I get off the snowmobile quick. I run down, look down the hill, and her, her snowmobile is rolled over and she's over by the tree. Oh, my God. And so the first thing I say is, are you okay? And when she said yes, and then we all started laughing hysterically because then it was funny. <laughs> oh my gosh. So it was safety first and then we could laugh at it. I love how you took care of that just like a pilot. Safety first, check your surroundings, everything, and then make sure she's okay. What did she do? She just was driving too fast? She got slow and then gunned it and then it went off the side of the path that it was on. <laughs> that is something I would do. I actually <laughs> this is an interesting one. I was driving on an island that drove on the left-hand side of the road. And there's something called spatial intelligence where some people have it and some people don't. I do not. So some people can easily switch from left to right driving. I cannot. And these pilots, they weren't drunk or anything, but they had a couple drinks and and they said, can you drive? And I said, no. I said, don't drink. So they drank anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And it was at night and it was on a Caribbean island on the left side of the road. I had to drive and I drove us into a ditch. Yeah. So always listen to your flight attendant. Everyone was fine. No one was hurt. The car wasn't even hurt. It was fine. Everything ended up fine. But the whole point (laughs) is you never know what can happen. And I've done it. So I've been that flight attendant that's done it. So (laughs) good story between snowmobiling and cars. All right. Tell us about your exciting new company, Mad Dog Global. The way we started Mad Dog Global was first with my international experience and training. I wanted things spelled out for me because I didn't know when I first started doing it. So I documented it and made some training things and shared it with fellow pilots of mine that were also kind of making that transition. And they had said, 
you should really do something professional with this and get it out there. And so we kicked it around, decided to do it. And then my family and I, so I consulted with them and we said, all right, it's a good idea. Let's do it. I love where I'm at and I love what I do. But as a international captain, you do two flight physicals a year and, and flight tests. So you figure I got, I'm hoping 20 years, if I could stay doing what I'm doing, very fortunate. That is 36 flight physicals, any one of those or any other issue yep. outside of our control. So, right. 9-11, the economy crashing in 2008, COVID, all things outside of our control could impact our, our flying career. So we want to have something outside of the actual flying that would be able to contribute to the family's income. And this uh, was a pretty good way to do that. And we could all do it together. So I love it. Amazing. So tell us about your company and what services you offer. Sure. So the big thing is aviation consulting. One of the things we do is help people that want to start a 135, a charter company, and they have no idea they maybe have an aircraft or they just have some funds and they want to do it. We can help guide them all the way through the whole process. And so it's a year and a half, two long year process of dealing with the FAA. And our big thing is we know what the FAA is looking for, so we can help them prepare that before the FAA even asks it. So Amazing. they're super prepared and it'll cut down the time and of course, time is money in, in aviation. So th that's our big resource to help them out there. And then the other thing we do is capitalizing on that international training I have and also the manuals that I put together. So I've had a couple EASA, it's European ramp inspections over in Europe. And what started that was, so on the original G4, part 91, but we were over there and I was just busy learning flying across the Atlantic Ocean. Then I got to realize, you know, there's this whole big European ramp inspection that's a big deal. And the company that I was flying with there in airplanes had nothing organized. So I'm like, if they have all these questions, I just have to scramble around. I don't know. So I started putting a binder together and that's where I shared that with friends of mine in, in the industry. And they're like, this is pretty good. And then I since have had three different ramp inspections after I have compiled that manual together or, or use one that was compiled together. And man, it, it makes going through that inspection, the inspectors, when they see you have something organized, their meaner demeanor always changes right I'm away sure. as well. So they're like, all right, this guy's got this stuff together. All right, this is going to be an easy one. Sold those manuals to other Fortune 500 companies and even uh, the Fortune 200 companies, flight departments. Then we also work on some international training for those that may be new to doing international operations or just want a different perspective. So even if you use, there's a lot of great ones out there, I do recommend switching them up because they all have their different strengths and weaknesses. And it's good to get that diversity in your, in your training. Amazing. And if you're interested in Matt's services, and this is a family business, which I love, if you're interested, I am going to put the name of the website, which is Mad dogglobal.com, but I'm going to put it in the show notes and it's going to link right to it. So if anyone listening, because I do have people in the industry that listen to this. So if they need any of your services, they can just click right there. And can we follow you anywhere else? Is there anywhere else you're on Instagram or Facebook or? So we are on Facebook, LinkedIn. LinkedIn is probably a big one for us. Now those links are on our website as well. And we are working on, we don't have it done yet. We should have uh, some videos going up soon, uh, even on YouTube. So it'll be Mad Dog Global uh, on YouTube, highlighting a ramp inspection 
you know, what to expect, how to prepare for it, what the manual looks like. And then also some videos of crossing the Atlantic and crossing the Pacific via tutorial for those either new to those crossings or just want a refresher. That is pretty cool. So definitely check that out. All those resources are amazing. Matt, you have been such a wealth of information. We truly appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here and taking time out of your busy schedule. Thank you. It's good listening for everybody. I enjoy it. When I take my dog out for a walk, it's on the podcast. So. <laughs> I'm in your ear. So. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm in your ear. Oh my gosh, it's so funny. Until next time. Happy flying.